Hey, New City family. Thank you for coming to listen to this week's message. This is AJ Farthing, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. Our mission is to see Jesus change lives and reach the world. We want you to be a part of that movement by helping you grow as a disciple and encouraging you to share with others. So be sure to share this with someone you know to help encourage them. If you happen to live in the Tampa area, come check out our church on Sunday mornings at 920 or 11 a.m. You can find the information and other resources on our website, newcitytpa.com. I pray this message encourages and challenges you in your faith, and you take this message and share it with those in your life. Happy birthday, New City Church. Um, We're so excited that you're here. If it's your first time, um, we're just thankful that you're with us worshiping. Um, we do have the heat on, um, I promise it's, it's on. Uh, we have even have heaters to help with the heat. Um, you know, this morning we're going to do what we always do. Uh, we're going to gather, we sing, and we're going to pray and worship the Lord. And then tonight we're going to party. Um, that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to have dinner. We're actually going to have Chipotle tonight, so you don't want to miss that. Um, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, and then we may even have a little bit of a party favor for all of those that come and join us tonight just to celebrate uh, the goodness of God. And so again, you want to make sure that you come back tonight. Um, But before we jump into Luke chapter 4, just seeing Jesus begin his ministry uh, and and see Jesus really preach his first sermon, I want to take about 10 minutes and just celebrate the faithfulness of God to our church. Uh, And I want to be clear, yes, in the life of New City, y'all, we have seen a lot of great things to celebrate. Uh, But we've also been through our fair share of hard things. Um, like there's no question, our church has been marked by high highs and low lows. We're a church that, uh, that lives in both the peaks and the valleys of life, and I can say with confidence that God has been so good to us in every season. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm just incredibly thankful for is that we are just really honest with all of the really good things and all of the really hard things. Like, we don't try to live in some sort of fake joy. No, we grieve, we mourn, and we are deeply burdened, but yet we still have hope. And the reason I say this is because what I know to be true is it would be incredibly easy to determine the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God based on a number or a metric or a desired outcome or even a feeling. And, what, and we have to say to that, no. Like God's goodness and faithfulness is not based on a desired outcome. Uh, And no, God's goodness and faithfulness is not even based on our prayers being answered. No, his goodness and faithfulness is based on him doing uh, what he says he will do. God's goodness and faithfulness is based on the solid foundation of his word and the reality of the resurrection that gives us hope in our chaotic lives. Uh, Because in those low moments and hard moments and seasons and moments of unanswered prayer, just like uh, we saw last week with Jesus in the wilderness, uh, those are the moments where God grows us and matures us and changes us. Like we're, we're, we're a church, we, we just wholeheartedly believe that we're called to seeing life change. We are called to seeing life, tra- lives transformed by the gospel. And one of the realities that comes with this calling is that it comes with low moments. It comes with uh, hard seasons that don't always make sense. And yet it's in those seasons and moments where God changes us and refines us. And in all of it, God is so good. Y'all, when we moved here uh, over four years ago, 
Again, with 35 adults and 15 kids and none of us not knowing a single person, not knowing where to meet. We didn't have a worship leader. Uh, people just kind of struggling to find jobs. There were several moments of, is this going to work? Like, are we going to make it? And, and we ran, we continued on, and we launched our church in January of 2020. And what was a really big, and that was just a really big moment in the life of our church. And after, like, it was really after six hard months um, of, of all of this, but it was the Lord's kindness allowed us to experience uh, the sweetness of the Lord when we, when we started our church. Through not just knowing that God is good, but through visibly seeing it. And as we started our church, finding here where we meet in the school, um, finding people to help us with worship, I mean, having things, just giving to us left and right, it was just a really sweet season. And then seven weeks later, um, the whole world shut down, uh, making the next year incredibly challenging. And in all honesty, if we knew all the things that we would go through over the next year and a half, uh, and that, uh, I don't think our church would really exist. While at the same time, those hard moments have incredibly shaped our church. And also me personally as a pastor and as a husband and as a dad um, that I would never want to change. We could go on and on about our fair share of hard things that have shaped us, but it also doesn't come with a lot of really good things to celebrate. I mean, get this. You know, over the past four years, our small church has baptized 33 people. Yeah, praise the Lord. We have seen 33 people outwardly profess that the old life is gone and the new life is here with, many, with, with more to come in the future. And also our church, even, even with COVID, get this, our church was able to become financially, and self, financially self-sustaining in less than three years, meaning well, we are able to operate as a church from the resources from within our church and not dependent on outside funding. And I don't want you to miss God's faithfulness in this because the average church that survives, um, it takes about five years to be self-sustaining. And a vast majority of those churches don't have any full-time staff people. And here we are four years in with two full-time staff people and six part-time staff supporting several to do ministry, um, also supporting several to do ministry on the campus. And then also being able to give away 10% of our annual budget, giving $41,000 to missions and church planting and local partners. Y'all, this is a... That, that, that's something to celebrate. It really is. And then along those same lines, I, I, I hate to say this, but I think it says a lot, um, you know, about God's ha- having his hand on our church. Did you know that four out of five churches that start don't ever make it to year five? Like, that's kind of a wild but true statistic. 80% of churches that start don't exist five years later. And it's partially because of funding, and it's partially because of fatigue and burnout. And here we are, four years in, Financially healthy, spiritually healthy, and dreaming and praying and excited about all that God can and will do over the next four years. You know, the reason our church exists is to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. Our church was birthed out of a deep burden to make disciples, to mobilize uh, missionaries, to multiply churches, and to mobilize missionaries all over the world. And to date, uh, to, today, uh, with our student ministry and groups ministry, y'all, we have over uh, 100 people plugged into discipleship in the life of our church. And, and get this, over the past four years, our church has helped to partner to help plant seven different churches all over the world. And then not to mention, we've commissioned out two long-term missionaries with several other families and couples in the pipeline to move their life among the unreached to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. And I don't want you to miss God's favor in this. 
because that by itself is a massive move of God. You know, this past fall, one of our elders went to an event hosted by a mission sending, our mission sending organization, and, and most of the churches that were there were churches of several thousands of people, and the churches that were our size, many of them were sending their first and only missionary in 10 years, or maybe even um, some it was the first ever in the, in the life of their church. So the fact that we've sent two people with more coming in the future to leverage and sacrifice their life, to go to those who have never heard the name of Jesus, that is a total work of God. Y'all, this has been a very deep uh, burden and calling that we believe God has given to our church. And y'all, God is doing this in our midst. Before our church was even uh, a church, before we had a name, before we had a location, or really any people, the question we believe that God has put on our heart is do we believe that God could use us to plant a church to send people to the ends of the earth? That has been the, the burdening question. In New City, God is literally doing this right before our eyes. Again, God's hand is on our church, and we can't miss this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. As, um, this week, as I've kind of thought about all that God has done over the past uh, few years, like I've, I've literally been moved to tears um, from just from the Lord's faithfulness. I mean, every hardship, every pain, every struggle, tears shed. And let me tell you, there have been quite a few tears shed. Um, it has all been worth it. And then on top of that, again, there are many ups and downs. Um, like just like that's just the life of our church. Anybody that's been here for longer than six or seven months would know that over this past summer, you know, we lost about 35 to 40 people that just moved away. We had a bunch of college students and recent grads that graduated and moved away. Some went into full-time ministry. Others found jobs outside of Tampa. Like this just comes with the territory of reaching and discipling a bunch of young people. But although we lost about 35 to 40 people over the summer, which was about 20 to 30 percent of our Sunday morning attendance this past fall, in spite of that, our average Sunday morning attendance is still up 20 percent over last fall. Y'all, like that's a big deal. God is growing our church. And I know uh, with moving to two services this fall, um, sometimes it can be hard to see it and notice it on certain weeks, but, over, but year over year, our church is growing at a really good rate. Like we have first-time guests almost every week. Our groups ministry are growing. Um, we're needing to start new groups to create more space for discipleship. Again, like, God has just been so kind to our church. And the reason we do this, like just every year on our birthday, is because it's just a simple and tangible reminder of the faithfulness of God. Because what I know, because believe me, we can, we can say that the Lord is good and faithful, but part of our humanness is to just forget it, or to not see it, or to lose sight of it, or maybe actually just not believe it. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I can get up here, and I can, I can preach one service, be super excited about the message, be super encouraged, and then preach the exact same thing in the other service, walk off the stage a little bummed and discouraged. And, and I don't know why this happens sometimes, but the reason I bring that up is just a small example in my own life that just kind of speaks to our humanness. It speaks to how quickly we, we can forget and lose sight of the goodness of God and the promises of God. And so what do we do in those moments? Well, we remind ourselves of the promises of God. You know, I have to remind myself of the promise that the Word of God, it never returns void. And then when the Word of God is preached, God is glorified, and, we can, and I, can rest, I can seek to rest in that. And so us collectively, as we're just kind of going through life and ministry and trying to love our neighbor and serve our church and live on mission, you know, we can easily uh, just lose sight of how God is working and what God is doing. 
And so, y'all, it is just good and right for us to celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And so, again, New City, happy four years. Um, and again, this morning, we're going to do what we always do. Uh, we gather, we sing, we preach, and we pray. And tonight, uh, we come back for Chipotle and a party. And we'll sing and we'll worship um, and beg God for more. And so uh, we'll do that all together uh, collectively in, in, in one gathering. And so all that being said, um, we're going to switch gears here. And we're going to get into Luke chapter 4, seeing um, Jesus' first sermon in the book of Luke. And with that today, we're also kind of beginning a new series in the book of Luke that comes with a, a major transition in the book that we've titled The Ministry of Jesus. And we're going to see exactly as uh, the series title suggests, um, seeing Jesus in ministry. And so for the last two-thirds of our time here today, I'm going to kind of work through this entire passage. I'm going to make a few ministry observations. And then on the back third of our time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really focus in on about two ver- verses. It's Jesus' sermon. Um, and so uh, just to kind of get us up to speed, you know, last week, Jesus, he was in the wilderness. He was being tempted by the devil right before he began his public ministry. And today we see his ministry officially begin. He goes back to his hometown and we'll see him declare what he came to do. Jesus, in our text today, he tells his purpose in ministry. And again, it's his first public sermon that we see in the book of Luke. And I find our passage fitting for today because in reality, everything Jesus came to do, it is the exact same thing our church seeks to do. Like we as a church, we seek to model our ministry after Jesus's ministry. Like we don't come up with new strategies and new plans. No, our church is modeled after Jesus's ministry. Jesus, he went and taught in large gatherings. Like we'll see, te- we'll see Jesus teach the crowds kind of like we do here on our Sunday morning gatherings. We'll see Jesus live and disciple a small group of disciples, which is what we do in our city groups throughout the week. And then we also see his ministry. Um, he more intentionally discipled Peter, James, and John, which is what we seek to to do, um, like that's who we spent the most time with, which is what we do in our, in our uh, discipleship groups with about three to five people that is within our city groups. And so in all of these areas of our church, we do what Jesus came to do. Like we proclaim and we p- apply the gospel into our lives. And so ultimately where we're going today in our text is our main idea is that Jesus came to bring good news. That's our, that's our main idea for today. So again, in, in this next like 10 minutes, I'm going to kind of work through the whole text, and I'm going to make four kind of sweeping observations about life and ministry that we can um, learn from this text that will help us in the years to come. And then in the last 10 minutes, um, we're going to actually see four different groups of people. So we've got four ministry observations and four groups of people today. Um, And so all of that will be kind of anchored in the gospel with the idea that Jesus came to bring good news. Again, we're a church um, that week after week, we make a really big deal about the gospel. Um, the gospel, it literally means good news. It's the good news that Jesus came. He, he, uh, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And that good news is, ju- is not just a part of history. But this good news is, uh, it totally alters our lives. It's not abstract. This is not abstract. This is deeply personal. Again, everything we'll see today uh, it's more of what we want to see and will see in the next four years of our church. And so that said, let's dive into our text. Look at what it, look, look what it says in verse 14 and 15 of Luke chapter 4. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout, uh, through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So the very, the very first place 
that Jesus went in his ministry to teach and to minister was to Galilee, his hometown region. We'll see in verse uh, 16, uh, Galilee is the bigger region. Nazareth was kind of a, a town in Galilee. And so look at the first part of verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was, as was his custom, and he went to the synagogues on the Sabbath day. And so what I want to point out here is that Jesus went where his family was located. So Jesus' first place of ministry was where he had the most influence, where he had relationships, showing us ministry observation number one. Gospel ministry often begins with deep relationships. And I, I intentionally say often because we can't uh, say that as a sweeping statement. Gospel ministry can also happen with total strangers. But our greatest area of impact is often going to happen through deep personal relationships. And so for us today as a church, as we think about our first place of ministry, our first thought should always be in the home. Like our first thought should be where we live and where we spend most of our time. Moms and dads, our primary ministry is with our kids. It's with our families. Like my first place of ministry as a pastor, no offense to you, it's not you. Like happy birthday. No, my first place of ministry and all of our pastors and all of our ministry leaders, their first place of ministry are not the people in our church, but the people in our homes. Like college students, young professionals, your first place of ministry are those you live with, your neighbors, it's those uh, you live near, it's your family, it's those that you have the most influence with. And we know that Jesus spent 30 years in the synagogue and studying and learning. And the first place he goes to begin his ministries are those where he spent the most time with. And one of the reasons I bring this up and emphasize this is because in this next season of our church, you know, we are going to run hard in evangelism and gospel proclamation. And so where should we start? Where we already have established relationships. Like we start where we live. We start where we work and where we, where we play, our hobbies, where we interact with people. And we have to ask, who are those people? Like, who are those people in our lives with whom God has given us influence? Who are those people that we intersect, like we live around and live our lives with? Who is far from God but close to you? Again, there's, uh, here we see Jesus going around teaching in a bunch of different places. But I do want to point out here, at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus was popular, but he was not known. They knew Jesus um, as a great teacher, but they did not know him as the Messiah, which is really significant for this passage. And look what he says next as he's, as he's in, the, in the synagogue. We'll start in verse 16 again. Then he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he was anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the, scriptures has been, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus goes in, uh, he goes in, he opens up the Old Testament and starts reading out of the prophet Isaiah and what, what he said. And he basically says, these scriptures that were written a long time ago, they were written about me, that, the Jesus speaking. And he's telling every, everyone he grew up with here, all these people that were listening to him, he was saying the long-awaited Messiah, the, uh, he, that he was saying that he was the long-awaited Messiah, that he was the savior of the world. You've been waiting for, in verse 21 he said. Like today, this scripture has been fulfilled. 
And why? Well, because Jesus, again, he was the fulfillment. And so in what he just said in this sermon, there, again, there's four different people that he ministered to that we're going to come back to on, at the end of our time. But the quick ministry observation I want to make here is number two, gospel ministry points to Jesus. And this should go without saying, but uh, it needs to be said. Ministry is not about us. Ministry is not, even, it's not about our church. No, it is all about Jesus. And the day ministry becomes about us or really anything other than Jesus, we have just totally missed it. And so today and over the next four years, and as long as our church exists, our calling and our purpose is to point to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. But look what they did as a response to what Jesus said in verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, it's, it's not this Joseph's son. So they were a little confused at what Jesus said. They didn't believe him. They were like, uh, this, is all, this is great, but wait a second. Your dad uh, is Joseph. Like he's just an average Joe. And all this doesn't seem to match up. And look what he said back in verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Phys- physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So Jesus is basically acknowledging that they don't believe what he's saying. And then he kind of ruffles their feathers a bit Look, because look what he says. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. So what does Jesus do? He points to the prophet Elijah and Elisha that, we, they know, that they know of in the Old Testament. And he says, Elijah, yeah, he, he did some really great things. Um, there was a famine in the land, and he helped a widow during the famine, but it was only one widow. Uh, and Elisha, he helped a lot of people. Um, there, there, was a, there, was a, there was a leper that he helped. Um, it was only one leper. Uh, his name was Naaman. In essence, what he's saying here is Elijah and Elijah and Elisha, these decorated and celebrated prophets in the Old Testament like that he's speaking about, Jesus is saying he's going to do much more. He's going to be greater than Elijah and Elisha. And of course, these people that he's speaking to, they didn't receive that very well because look what it says in verse 28. When they heard these things, and all, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were angry, Okay. They weren't happy. Jesus causes a bit of an uproar. Uh, uproar. And so what, uh, what did they do in response to what Jesus said? Well, look at verse 29. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which uh, their town was built so that they could throw him, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Uh, they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. That's what they tried to do. All of these people he loved, he grew up with them. He spent 30 years of his life with these people. Um, it's fair to say they liked his teaching, but they totally rejected him as Messiah. I mean, those that he, Jesus deeply loved, they tried to kill him. They were in all of his teaching, but hated who he claimed to be. They loved the idea of Jesus but they rejected him as Lord of their life, which leads us to ministry observation number three. Gospel ministry comes with rejection and disappointment. Church, listen. 
When we make much of Jesus and proclaim the good news of the gospel, it's going to come with rejection and setbacks and pushback and struggle and disappointment. Like if this happened, if this happened with Jesus in his hometown, we can be certain it will happen with us. Like advancing the gospel is an extremely high calling and task. It is not an easy task. Yo, when we push, when we seek to push back darkness, darkness pushes back. And so if the people that Jesus grew up with tried to throw him off a cliff, I think we can agree that us who are not sinless like Jesus, I think we're going to have some hard days. We're going to experience some trials and setbacks. Like this is just part of life and ministry. And yes, a lot of good will happen in the years ahead. But if we're proclaiming the gospel, we can be, we can be certain that so will trial and hardship. It just comes with the task. And so part of that rejection that we're going to see in gospel ministry, unfortunately, is what we see in our passage. It's going to be people rejecting Jesus. You know, just like we see with Jesus in our passage, people like the idea of Jesus as a person, but it just not Lord of their life, which I think we can agree is very common in our culture today. People love the teachings of Jesus when it comes to loving your neighbor and sacrificing for others and forgiveness and serving. Like these are all great things, but as soon as it comes down to Jesus being the ruler of our life, it's like, well, wait a second, that seems a bit much. Like, which leads us to ministry observation number four. Gospel ministry comes through submitting to Jesus. And what we'll often see in here is all this love and grace talk. Um, like, that's great. But submitting to Jesus as Lord who rules and reigns over my life, hold up. Like, not so fast. Again, they wanted the teachings of Jesus, but they didn't want Jesus. And there's a distinct difference. One saves and one does not. New City, Jesus came to bring good news, and that good news is realized when Jesus is Lord of our life. The good news that Jesus came to bring was not good teaching and not good works, and it was not the promise of a better life. No, the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to bring, it comes with a bloody cross and a resurrection and a holy submitted life that says, God, you own it all, you have it all. It says, God, you're Lord, and I'm not. And so no, Jesus can't be our sacrifice that takes away our sin and then not be our Lord and, and King. Like that's not how it works. No, Jesus came to die on the cross and pay for our sins so that we can have forgiveness and new life for the purpose of Jesus being Lord and King of our life. You know, Jesus didn't die so that we could do whatever we want. No, he died so that he could be the King of our life. He died so that we could submit our life to him. And today, as we think about the faithfulness of God and the path forward for the next four years and beyond, the only path forward is proclaiming the gospel of grace where Jesus is both our sufficient sacrifice for our sin and also the king of our life. And we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom where Jesus is king. Do you know what happens? We continue to see life transformation. We continue to see people leveraging their life for the mission of God to, and to reach our neighbors with the gospel, to plant churches, and to go to the unreached. When we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, where Jesus is king of our life, we continue to see radical sacrifice and radical generosity and a real love and care and authentic Christianity. Y'all, there is nothing worse than a fake Christianity that says, Jesus, you can have my sin, but you can't have my life. Again, that's not how this works. As we see in our passage today, Jesus didn't come to be a good teacher, but he came to be our Lord and Savior. So again, those are our four ministry observations from our passage. 
And then for the rest of our time, we're going to look quickly at four different categories of people that Jesus came to save and to minister to. And as we look at each of these four different groups of people, ultimately this is all about Jesus. But as followers of Jesus and being, uh, and being used in the hands of God, this is also what we as a church, we are called to. This is who we're called to. And what I also know is that as we go through each of these four groups of pe- people, each of us in some way are a work in progress. Like we can identify with each of these in some way. And so as we continue to celebrate four years today, like I just find it fitting not just to be reminded of our ministry, but be reminded of who we're called to. Again, these are, these are the people Jesus was called to. And so by extension, we have the same calling. Look back at verse 17 to 19 again, seeing Jesus' first sermon that came from the book of Isaiah. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, this was Jesus' first sermon that we see um, here in Luke. He opened the Bible, he read a couple verses, and he sat down short, sweet, packed a punch. And the first thing I want to point out here from what he said about himself was that uh, Jesus' ministry was driven by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. That even Jesus was dependent on the Spirit of God. New City, everything we do, everything we are, we must remember that we are a dependent people. We are dependent on the Lord. Yes, God has been faithful to get us where we are today, but we'd be fools to try to move forward in the next four years without the Spirit of the Lord. Well, this is why we pray before every service. This is why we pray in every service. This is why we pray in our groups. This is why we gather to pray for our nights of prayer and worship like we're going to do tonight. It's because we can talk about salvation and life change and the mission of God. But if the Spirit of God doesn't move, we do not have a fighting chance. And so when Jesus preaches his first sermon in his ministry that we see today, he was doing it in the power of the Spirit. And then what does he do in the power of the Spirit? He says over and over again, Jesus was to proclaim. Jesus had a ministry of proclamation, which means we each are to have a ministry of proclamation. Listen, a ministry of proclamation is not just for pastors who come up here and preach on Sunday morning. No, every believer who calls Jesus Lord is called to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. We're, called, we're each called to preach the gospel. A ministry of proclamation is not set apart for the skilled orators or to, it's not set apart for the extrovert. It's not set apart for the popular. No, a ministry of proclamation is set apart for every person who calls Jesus Lord and it is de- and empowered and it is dependent on the Spirit of God. So if the Holy Spirit empowers us for proclamation, we must ask, to whom do we proclaim this good news to? which leads us to number one of our four groups of people, the Spirit-empowered proclamation to the poor. That's what Jesus said in verse 18. Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. And I do want to acknowledge there is some debate among scholars whether each of these groups of people are referring to a physical reality or a spiritual reality. And what I would say to that is, well, it's both. When we look at Jesus' ministry, he spoke to physical realities and pains and hardship while also referring to the deeper spiritual realities. 
the spiritual realities of being poor in spirit, of being spiritually bankrupt, is the idea uh, that Jesus came to bring good news for those who know that they need good news. You know, when we're spiritually poor, when we're poor in spirit, we are very aware of our need for Jesus, which is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, we see all throughout Jesus' ministry that he came for those who knew their need. He came for the sick and for the hurting. And what we also know to be true is that those who are physically poor are very aware of their need for, for something more. Like across the board, around the world, some of the most spiritually rich people of the world live in the most extremely impoverished places of the world. No, wealth and money are not evil. They can be a blessing, and God uses it for the mission of God. But we also have to understand it's very easy to make physical wealth our day-to-day dependence. New City, our greatest need today is not more money, but more Jesus. And Jesus has eternal riches to offer us each and every day. So what do we want to see over the next four years in the life of New City Church? More of the spiritual riches that we can find in Jesus. More people finding their hearts and souls ignited by the riches of Jesus and more people from every walk of life, from every socioeconomic background, finding salvation in Christ, in Christ alone. And how will we do that? Well, through spirit-empowered proclamation. Well, let's keep moving. Look back over the second half of verse 18. That's what it says. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So here we see the next three groups of people with whom we're to proclaim good news to. It says we see the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. That's what Jesus said. Those were his words. Uh, But let's look more specifically at the next one. Number two, spirit-empowered proclamation to the captives. And more specifically, proclaiming liberty to the captives, freedom to the captives, proclaiming freedom to those who are in bondage. You know, we see over and over again in Jesus' ministry, we see him setting people free both physically and spiritually. And so, yes, it is both physical and spiritual. There is freedom to those who are in physical bondage, but it's not just like jail. People can be held captive to all sorts of things. Things like money or debt or bad relationships or a substance or an addiction. I mean, there's so many physical things that we can be enslaved by that the gospel can speak into. But even along those same lines, we also have to acknowledge our spiritual bondage, our bondage to sin. Because uh, for those who have not given their life to Jesus, the Bible is clear. They're held captive by the devil and enslaved to their sin. Those who are in Christ, we're set free. In Christ, we are no longer held in bondage to our sin. No, we have been set free. New City, the gospel is good news that offers freedom from bondage. It offers us a way out. The gospel tells us that today and every day, because of Jesus, the chains are gone and we have been set free. And so as we think about our ministry of spirit-empowered proclamation to all those around us, may we remember that we have a ministry that proclaims liberty to the captive. Like we have a message of freedom. Again, today, if we are in Christ, we are set free to run in the freedom of the Lord. Yes, we may still sin, and yes, we may still put those chains back on when we sin, but being in Christ, listen, we have the key that takes them right back off. 
being in Christ every day, we can remove the chains of bondage and declare that we are living in freedom and walking in victory. So number one, we have spirit-empowered proclamation to the poor and to the captive, number two, and then we also see number three, spirit-empowered proclamation to the blind. Again, yes, we have a ministry that gives recovery of sight uh, to the physically blind, and even as an extension of that to those who are any sort of physical handicap or sickness, there's a mis- there is ministry of physical healing that comes with Jesus. We can't miss that here. Jesus did that in his ministry, and yes, we still see that today. And yes, uh, this is primarily about Jesus in his ministry. He physically brought healing to the physically blind. But every time he did that, When Jesus gave sight to the blind, he always pointed to the reality of spiritual blindness. In Jesus' ministry, spiritual healing for spiritual blindness was always primary. And any sort of physical healing for physical blindness, it was always secondary. I mean, just think about, about this. All the people who are around us, who have their eyes blinded to the goodness of Jesus... Like, there are people all around us who are spiritually blinded and unable to see the beauty of Jesus. And the reality is, if we, in in Christ, we ourselves, we were once blind also. Like, we were once blind, but now, if we are in Christ, now we can see. Like, those who outwardly reject Jesus, like, they're not mean. They're not being, like, it's not stubborn. No, they're blinded. And so who are we to proclaim Jesus to? Well, those who are blinded to Jesus, all those who are far from God, and maybe they're blinded to Jesus because of a heart reality or maybe because of an access reality. Well, there are people all over the world who are blinded to Jesus because nobody is there to show them Jesus and to tell them about Jesus. And one of the most incredible things about the goodness of, about the, goodness of the gospel of Jesus is that through the power of the Spirit, God opens up blind eyes to see. New City, our job is to preach and proclaim, and it's the Spirit's job to open up blind eyes. But guess what? If we don't proclaim the gospel, eyes cannot be opened. Like, we must understand there is a supernatural power that comes through proclaiming the name of Jesus, through proclaiming the gospel to those who are spiritually blind. Like, one day, someone is blind, and that same day, in the next hour, God is able to open up their eyes to see. A person can literally walk in to be with us. They can be spiritually blinded. We proclaim the gospel to them, and then instantly, or within the next hour, they can see. Like, that is the power of the gospel that God has entrusted to us through gospel proclamation. And so what what do we want to see in the next four years of New City Church? We, we want to see boatloads and boatloads of eyes open to Jesus, to the beauty of, of, of to eyes open to the beauty of Jesus all over the world. We want to see blind eyes open in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, on the college campus, in our families, and around the world. We want to send dozens of long-term missionaries around the world whose job is to help the blind see the glory of Jesus. You know, you know I'm praying for just an army of residents on, the, on staff with New City Church whose full-time job is to make disciples on the college campus. Praying for, uh, just that we would see eyes opened to the glory of Jesus. New City, th- this was Jesus' ministry, to see the eyes open, to see eyes open, to help the blind see. And this is our ministry. 
I mean, just dream and pray with me about what God could do with a people that are set on fire for gospel proclamation that, that can help the blind to see. So number one, the Spirit empowers us to proclaim to the poor, to the captive. Number three, to the blind. And then lastly, God calls us to number four, Spirit-empowered proclamation to the oppressed. And more specifically, Jesus said in verse 18, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Again, these are Jesus' words. And that word that is translated as oppressed here, it literally means those who are shattered. It means those who are squashed and crushed and broken in pieces. New City, God calls us to help those whose life is in shambles, to help those who are squashed and pressed down just by the weight of the world and to help them run and find freedom and to be set free with purpose and passion. Yes, that includes physical enslavement, but this also includes those who are tired and weary and worn out just by the circumstances of their life. This includes the tired mom or dad or the struggling college student. This includes the young professional that just can't get ahead. You know, one of the things that I just, I know to be true, overwhelmingly true, is that every single Sunday, there are people that will walk into our doors that are just living on cloud nine rejoicing in life, happy as can be, life is good, while at the exact same time, people sitting right next to them can be hurting, grieving, lamenting, and just feeling crushed by the world. And what an honor it is, week after week, for us to just rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve and to help each other to find hope in Jesus. Because what I know to be true is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a message of hope for the hurting and for the crushed and for the downcast. And so what do we want to see more of over the next four years? We want to see more people who are overwhelmed by the weight of the world just come in and find rest and renewal in Jesus, in the gospel, finding renewal just within our community and then sit back out in strength and power. And why can we know that this will happen? Because this is what the gospel does. This is what our good news can do. It helps the crushed and shattered. It helps them be put back together. New City, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that says, I'm a mess, but Jesus is putting me back together every day. That's the gospel. That Jesus is enough that Jesus is working in us. Church, this is our call and this is our hope. We want to see more of those who are poor in spirit rejoicing in Jesus. We want to see those who are held in bondage set free. We want to help more people see the beauty of Jesus and having their eyes just open to God and his glory that was seen at the cross. And we want to help those who are crushed and oppressed by the weight of the world to find freedom knowing that Jesus each day can put us back together. New City, today we celebrate four years knowing that Jesus has done this in us, through us, and we can be incredibly hopeful knowing that he will continue to do this. And so happy birthday, New City Church. I'm excited to see what God will do in the next four. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. God, you're so kind to us. God, would today just be a reminder of your faithfulness? Just celebrating your goodness and faithfulness and things that are just around us. God, we have an incredibly high calling.
But we have incredible good news to proclaim and to rejoice in and to find comfort in. God, you are working in our midst. God, you are moving. God, your hand is on our church. But God, we pray that we would just point to Jesus in all that we do and say, it's not about us. It's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus. God, we love you and we need you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.